You're listening to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIB.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, BIV's tech panel weighs in on Singles Day, smart glasses from Apple, and how to police deep fakes on the internet. Tomorrow, BIV hosts our annual BC CEO Awards on November 13th. You can join us as we celebrate six distinguished chief executives. More information on the event and on our winners can be found at BIV.com slash events. You can also join us November 22nd at the BC Export Awards, which we hold each year. Finalists across nine categories will be recognized and winners selected. And finally, on November 26th, we discuss Hong Kong as part of our BIV Talks series presented by the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. We'll be discussing the protests, the unrest, the politics, and what all of that means for business. For more information on all of our events, visit BIV.com slash events. Here's our show. Linda Fawkes, CEO of Glue Technology Society, joins me now along with Owen Ingram, CTO of Easy Market. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Top of the list for our tech topics today, Singles Day, bigger than Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined, bringing in more than 38 billion US dollars. It is a massive retail holiday. What do you think this tells us, Linda, that it grew, I think, 20, 25% year over year? What do we learn from this? It's an immense effort to show the Chinese economy is stable and growing and definitely not heading towards a recession. It's slightly slowed from the year before, 2% down in growth, 25% growth instead of 27%. Uh, But what it shows us is the might of online shopping in China. You know, almost 20% of Chinese, 1.4 billion people are shopping online. So that is a huge market, a billion dollars in a minute. 10 billion in less than half an hour. Mm -hmm. It is incredible. And, you know, we keep in mind that Cyber Monday and uh, Black Friday, those are global events, basically, right, too? This is one, one company, one country. Incredibly impressive. Who are the winners? I'm not sure if there's winners in this. Um, Yeah, because as you know, obviously not in a free market. Um, Obviously, we know that there's a bit of uh, handholding to the whole process. So um, it's hard to see it as equivalent to Amazon or something else because you only have one option. So (laughs) well, imagine if the option was not growing at 25% or 27%. I'm guessing exactly right. The government was not going to let that happen. Right. How, I was actually, how could they send out a bad economic forecast? It's basically like the national economic forecast, right? <laughs> how much money is being spent on Singles Day? Yeah, like the uh, empty homes because homes are uh, how you calculate economic growth. Um, it, it, it's always kind of you have to take it with a grain of salt. I was surprised that the majority of it was inner inner China. Uh, that Alibaba makes most of their money from just commerce inside of China. Um, I thought it was more international, but uh, I was surprised to see those numbers. Um, and I don't know how it gets cheaper. I mean, when you look on Alibaba, of course, it takes 60 days to ship to you, but these things are just pennies. So how do you even make money on a deal or do they, I would like to see their profit margins actually to see uh, exactly what happens. I was very interested to see 143 million for Estee Lauder products Mm pre-ordered American dollars and $14 million in iPhone orders. Right, yeah. Pre-orders. I don't know how much an iPhone went for, though. It's hard to find that information as a quick Google search. But but those are pre-orders. So that is 
that is a huge chunk of change for both of those companies. Yeah, again, I'd like to see the iPhones, um, like what kind of margins they make on those and how it works because um, yeah, I'm just a little bit skeptical that it's a, a bit of a smoke show. But well, and we know that Apple doesn't discount their products, right? So we, you know, you're lucky to get six, seven, eight, maybe ten percent off on an Apple product. That's just they don't discount their hardware that much. Um, certainly not on the mobile end. So I'd be very curious to know how much the discounts were. Yeah, it's interesting, and I take your point too that it's mostly internal revenue, right? We've spoken before on the show a little bit about Alibaba's push to North America and other markets. Are we seeing them break through to other areas yet and compete, say, more directly with Amazon? Have they been successful in that? I I don't think they have been quite as successful yet. I think that the population that um, is comfortable within the Chinese market who are living globally are participating hugely. You do see many people. I talk to people who try to participate um, in the Singles Day event, but also buying products on Alibaba. So, um, but Amazon has a more North American slant to how they handle their market. They're also a very different company. They they are direct competitors, but they are quite different. If you've ever experienced both platforms, it's not the same experience. Yeah, there's there's actually a lot of great little tech gadgets you can buy from AliExpress, and um, it's funny because it's almost like a gift to your future self because you forget about it. Yeah. And then in the mail, you get this <laughs> Chinese package, and you're you can open it up like a birthday present or something. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's actually pretty funny though. The whole singles thing, the anti Valentine's Day, uh, I thought that was genius actually. Yeah. Exactly. What are all the singles going to do? We need to give them a shopping day right. to take their woes <laughs> off their heartache. Yeah, so that's a yeah. bit of a uh, benefic, uh, benevolent type of angle on it. It's also, though, it, it, you know, Amazon really launched huge into the Chinese market when they started offering a lot of the manufactured products from China on their marketplace. And a lot of those products got slammed for reviews, right? So they really got slammed and pushed down in the rankings on Amazon. Um, so when you're over on Alibaba, it's a little harder to trust what you're looking at. I've ordered a few things from AliExpress, and, and a couple of them have worked for a day right? Some of them didn't arrive at all, or they're not exactly as ordered. So there's, it's also difficult. I found it impossible and never bothered to try to return it because that's not going to happen. So, Right. I'd so. imagine if you're in a, into goods, uh, the, wholesale, uh, the wholesale aspect would probably be amazing because uh, I've accidentally stumbled on there a few times and you can you know, buy a million bottles for 50 bucks, uh, but you have to fill a, you know, a container worth of... Uh, of well, goods. I tell you, we ordered, we have a, a a company that had to order some containers from Ali, AliExpress. Okay. 6,000 roll-on deodorant bottles okay, arrived. Yeah, yeah. And it was an insanely simple process. Okay. Outside of the AliExpress world, and we tried to go to India and other places to source these uh, containers, these bottles, quite inexpensively. And AliExpress was so simple. Click, done. It did take two or three months to get here. I think I saw the shit, the cargo container come into port. Is you can it? smell it come in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but really simple to get mass, mass amounts of uh, products from a wholesale venue in China in a relatively trusted way. There you go, an interesting opportunity for some businesses here. Moving on to our next topic, and that would be smart glasses. Apple reportedly planning to launch its first AR headset in 2022, so we have a few years to wait for that. But I'm curious, do we think that Apple's going to be the one, Owen, to really make smart glasses 
mainstream because many companies have tried before and not succeeded. Yeah, I would. I really hope so. Um, they've played the waiting game. I guess like smart investors, you know, it's just about not engaging at an emotional level and seeing when the market's <laughs> ripe. So they obviously have waited a long time because there's been rumors circulating for years about them entering the race. In fact, I've seen them being set as the already the leader without them, you know, before they've even announced it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Apple has an incredible silicone uh, chip uh, design team. Uh, that's what powers their uh, iPads that are more powerful than most laptops. Um, and so that genius team that's uh, really breaking ground with uh, what they can do with uh, on the CPU side is hopefully going to be leveraged into these smart glasses to make them really light. And um, the, Intel had these plans. They had purchased actually a Vancouver company. Uh, Ren, what is it, Rencon, uh, a while back, um, but then they shelved it when Intel went through a whole bunch of problems. Uh, and I think Intel was the only, probably the only other company that could have done it, uh, where they have custom CPUs inside of a really small frame um, and really lightweight and lots of battery power. So yeah, I think Apple's going to be able to do it if they um, if they just get it right. I mean, Google Glass was eons ago, and mm -hmm. I feel like that still would have been cutting edge if they came out today. So um, I really do hope to see a new interface for us all to be using um, that doesn't look so weird. And I think if anyone can get the design right, it's going to be Apple, right. even without Johnny Ive right. in-house. Perhaps he's going to be consulting on the project who knows but the ROS I think they're calling the operating system for the VR AR side of Apple the ROS right now um, I, I think it's going to be fascinating I'm, I'm a user of the Apple watch I have my airpods I've obviously got my other Apple devices iPhone etc but I love the watch airpod combo I okay. really love the leaving my phone in my bag or my car or not taking oh. it on my run and so to have a glass I don't wear glasses all the time I need them to read but I don't need them for uh, normal conversational moments like this, but I would wear them all the time if I had the glasses on. Yeah. And that a heads up display said, Here's Haley coming at you, right? If I forgot your name. Yes. <laughs> yes. Owen's birthday is next Tuesday, which it's I don't not think actually. it is. It's not, no. But, but, right? So all of that heads up display information, not having to use my hands to hold on to a device. Yeah, I it's don't know. I'm it's glad I didn't mind get lazy. control is next, maybe, but seriously, oh, yeah. it's going to be very cool. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I just really hope it's not just a bunch more buzzing and notifications, but actually something useful where you can actually interact, you know, and exactly what you said uh, uh, reminds you of people's names and birthdays, all that. Um, it's there's no yeah, it's it's a really amazing thing, actually. Uh, you know, it's offsetting our brain even more so we don't have to think about anything anymore we Just can think about off. the things we love to think about yes. the olds always say that in our glue environments they're saying well if i don't have to remember to buy eggs and milk what am i supposed to be remembering it's like how about a poem oh wow yeah there you go <laughs> your grandchildren's birthday something fun like we can we can liberate our minds to do other things than all of this mundane stuff that our tech can handle for us i totally agree with you i think that's the perspective we should go into the future technologies with. If it's taking away mundane things and allowing us to focus on things we really love, I mean, that's an enrichment of our lives. It is, but we have a hard time 
um, certainly in the glue world, they have a very hard time understanding that we are moving really towards being an augmented human, right? Our phones augment us now. Certainly my watch is augmenting me and helping me stay healthy, et cetera. And so as we move towards a wearable that's always on, we're really moving towards that augmented human space, which a lot of people are going to be quite uncomfortable with. Um, But I find it exciting and fascinating. Bring it on. And Apple, thank goodness. The design might be something we'd actually wear because that Google (laughs) Glass. Yeah. did not work. <laughs> Something sleek. Something <laughs> sleek. Yeah. Like Owen's glasses now. Thank Those you. Are good. Yes. <laughs> Probably a bit more expensive than these ones. <laughs> Where would Apple get the information? Like for a birthday, would you have to input that like you would your contacts? Do they already have it from iTunes accounts? Where are they going to pull all this information from? So the birthdays come from you setting it up in a contact in the Apple world. So I would put Haley or Owen as a contact and I would put your birthday right in there. And then the birthdays calendar pops up and okay. says, it's Owen's birthday, not next week. So it's still very yeah. user driven. You're not relying on some sort of database that Apple has that they open it up for all their users or is that maybe where the value Yeah, that's where it gets from? really interesting with the AI component um, because ideally it's can, it can predict things. So, you know, it's not a bunch of manual work to uh, in order for it to tell you things that you basically told it to tell you. Um, if you, for example, you can drive around and it's kind of figuring out uh, that you're lost, you know, it could uh, put on a heads up display to say, uh, you know, turn right here next because it knows kind of where you're going. Uh, that would be very useful. Or if it just, for example, facial recognized people and had a massive database of all their birth dates, you wouldn't have to enter anything. Um, that gets a little bit tricky with, again, the hardware because that type of uh, processing is pretty heavy. Um, that's where it would need to be connected to your phone or maybe even an internet connection within the glasses. Um, but that's what I would like to see is where it's um, not just... Uh, you know, an addition to what you've already set, but it's actually giving you information that uh, you need. Well, like the iPhones or mobile technology with Apple's doing now. And, and so if you open up the Starbucks app every day at nine o'clock in the morning, you go to look at your series suggestions, the Starbucks app sitting there waiting for mm-hmm. you because it knows you might want to open the Starbucks <laughs> app or look at your Facebook or send a tweet or whatever. So you can see that that might pop up on the screen. Hey, right. hey by the way, it's nine o'clock. You're having your coffee. Order now with the Starbucks icon flashing on your retina. (laughs) It does sound a little crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. There will be people sitting in meetings, I'm sure, and watching Apple TV or Apple Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, everyone's going to have to really perfect that not vacant stare. Yeah, yeah. And not laugh accidentally. Yeah, I'm completely listening to you, but I'm not listening to (laughs) you because I'm watching a YouTube video. (laughs) Only there are an app for that. I don't know if we're quite there yet. Our final topic, deep fakes. Twitter has released its deep fake policy for public comment, available until almost the end of the month. And one of the more controversial elements, I would say, is that they're not deciding to remove deep fakes altogether. They're asking for feedback on this, but instead they would flag it as content that is potentially a deep fake. What do we think about this? It, there's a lot of ethical implications. There's the entertaining side. There's the fact that this is a reality. What do we think of how Twitter's trying to approach this? I think that it's great that Twitter's using the hive mind to get feedback on how we feel about uh, manipulation of these images and this synthetic content entering our social media lives. Um, Very opposed to the way Facebook did it. Facebook just jumped in and said, here's how we're going to do it. Don't really want your feedback. Um, But I also think we're at a time when very clearly, especially with this deep fake technology, 
we need to get an, a governing body to be taking a look at how we're going to manage this political, these political ads, these these ads and this content that can harm people, that can harm democracy. And it is beyond Twitter and Facebook to manage that responsibility. I think it's great that Twitter's reaching out. And it'd be fascinating to see next week is the end of the poll they're doing with all their users. It's going to be so interesting to see. Uh, hopefully they make some of that public and we can see the feedback. But it's it's too important to leave in the hands of Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg. We need We need people who are impartial, who can cross boundaries across technologies and technology companies and around the world maybe to ensure that we are not harmed by this incredible technology that is coming at us fast and we will not be able to tell the difference between a synthetic image and a, and a real one or voice for that matter, right? This doesn't just have to be images. This can be voices as well. Yeah. Anything digital. Yeah, the I mean, <clears throat> so the video's new. Uh, we've all been, uh, we've all seen, you know, photoshopped images and whatnot. So it's not like a hundred percent new. Um, and I think that it will be a game of cat and mouse to automatically flag these things. So I agree, some sort of governing body, um, specifically when it comes to political or if um, you know, like uh, the people are stealing money from phishing attacks, uh, whatever the equivalent of that is with video. But I, I do think in some senses it's a good thing because people cannot trust uh, so easily what they see online. Uh, you know, we've all accidentally read a headline of an Onion article and uh, had a response, <laughs> you know, even though or I've actually seen it shared on Facebook before. How, you know, how could they? Uh, and it's obviously a, a satire. Um, and so I think that the idea of, uh, of being more critically, you know, critically thought uh, – or at least just um, coming to the sense that there are certain sources you can trust, and uh, I think that's actually a key piece, and there's certain sources you can't, or rather anything else you can't by default. has to be a default trustless type of setting in our minds, and I think this defig is actually bringing up um, a larger, uh, more serious concern about, you know, now that the Internet's a big deal, uh, we all have to realize that things can be faked. You can't trust anyone. Uh, and then this is where actually the Internet has already solved this with encryption. Um, you know, there's been so many hacks over the years where someone's pretending to be someone else. And so what we have now is, uh, you know, the green bar at the top of your web browser. And you can look at the domain to see that is, in fact, you know, whoever, uh, whatever website you're supposed to be, uh, you, you wanted, uh, you know, so you don't accidentally put in your credit card into uh, CICC instead of CIBC. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it's actually a good thing for everyone to wake up and realize that you have to have your, tr your known trusted sources. Um, and then this is where journalism, again, is kind of revived a bit because we're going to be looking more and more to trusted sources. Um, and, you know, people sharing stuff on Facebook, the shame, the onslaught of shame in the comments if they share a fake article, um, that will, you know, <laughs> be a stick method for people to uh, embrace the trustless idea. Um, yeah, so I think in some ways it's actually going to be helpful for a lot of people who are a bit too naive to be navigating the Internet right now. And don't trust your friends because what your friend might have read online and said, did you know this? Yeah. Stat, stat, stat. Yeah, you so know, the echo chambers that we're creating online will actually break down a bit, which is right. great. Um, yeah. So in some sense, it's, it's actually a good thing for us to get out of this uh, you know, immature stage of trusting things. What is interesting, though, is we're talking about the digital world. We're talking about um, creating these um, 
this chain of trust on the content that we're looking at, but this isn't spilling over into TV, print, or radio. And so we see this political system that's drowning in money that is using the digital, the social media space specifically to create ads and A-B tests and content um, to manipulate, in some cases, manipulate voters. Um, if, If Dorsey gets his way and and political ads are banned and this stuff, this content is regulated heavily on the Twitter platform, um, that's going to push this this money in spending for political ads into this analog space. And now we know that the most um, some of the most vulnerable people in our society, certainly the glue community, um, are looking mostly at analog for their content. Right. They believe what they read in newspapers. They're looking at these ads. If it's in print, it's it's somehow more validated. So it's a scary thing to see that this cash that's swimming in this in the u.s political system is going to just move over to print or radio or tv that's true and, yeah. and that there's are those are big audiences maybe not millennials so the millennials are saved but there's a those are big audiences over there yeah and i'd be <clears throat> i'd be worried about these deep fakes being sources you know the, the the probably the scariest one is just a slight deviation from what really happened in a town hall or whatever um where the video is you know altered and then uh, journalists will pick up on that as a source and print it or whatever um so it will actually make the journalists lives harder to get to the real truth of things um which has always been the case you know with you know uh fake data and stuff but this is just making it a bit harder for everyone and there's and there's dorsey doing a shout out saying we we don't have the technology in house to analyze this data and figure out if it's fake or not we're we're reaching out to partners right connect with us and let us know if you can be a partner to help us analyze this content so hopefully the good guys win the battle and we can do in some sort of close to real time um, solution to analyzing these images, videos, voice data that's coming in. Um, but in the meantime, it, it's such a good fake. We, we cannot trust the digital content we see. Uh, yeah. That's just the world we live in right now. I do like the uh, flagging systems that usually, you know, I think like pretty much everyone has a flagging system to to flag bad content. And then you can have reprimands for the, the poster, the account that's actually posting it. Um, and so, you know, continuing that on would be great. And then obviously when it steps over to, for example, making health claims or something that could injure people or maybe do injure people, that's where we need a regulatory body to come in and say, this is actually illegal, track down the accounts that are registered to whatever platform and actually put fines or jail time or whatever for people who are you know, intentionally being malicious. Yeah, and do something about the Trumps of the world who are promoting, you know, the Nancy Pelosi video. He, he retweets that. Right. So that's earned, he's an earned tweeter. He's allowed yeah. to send out tweets because he's earned his, his uh, following. But yeah. there he is sending out what, what they would call a shallow fake in the Pelosi video, just right. a slight doctoring of the speed of her speech. Um, so how are we going to penalize? How are we going to put those guys in the in the outhouse for a little bit? Those right. accounts that are sharing yeah. to their authenticated audiences. This so I, I think that's the point is um, if we can quickly educate our society to be repulsed by fake news and by uh, someone trying yeah. to persuade you, manipulate you, um, if we can train everyone... Uh, then we can get rid of the Donald Trumps, who's kind of a new wave of this. Um, and so what happens will be, what should happen is when uh, Trump retweets a, a, you know, a fake piece of news or whatever that he hasn't vetted, or perhaps he intentionally knew that was fake, um, people should react very negatively it towards It hurts that. his brand in a big way. Yeah, it should but hurt his for right now, it's kind of a confusion on what's real and what's not. So we need to get, uh, yeah, we just it's an education piece, which hopefully doesn't take too long for people to hit that flag button and be really active in the community to know that it's bad to 
be providing fake news and it's good, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating discussion. I guess we'll see that evolve too, as different platforms come out with their own policies. Another quick topic I wanted to touch on too, is Twitter's decision to not run any kind of political ad counter to what Facebook's doing, where it's almost taken a kind of opposite stance and saying, yes, we'll run them. And no, we're not really going to fact check them either. Is there a a good approach and a bad approach between these two? Or does the ideal approach lie somewhere in the middle? And to be clear, Twitter will allow politicians to have accounts and everything and earned media, but they just won't support ads. Yeah, we're all very critical when it comes to products, when they're selling us some health, you know, cream or something that's going to make us look like George Clooney forever. Um, <laughs> you know, we're all, we all know that it's fake. You know, we've all seen the TV ads uh, long enough to know that it's fake, but we don't have that for the political ads yet. And so that's kind of the problem is that we kind of we let things slide a bit because we assume political candidates wouldn't stoop so low. Um, and so... I don't know if it's just an education piece or if it should be a special case that you need to check box, you know, when you're posting an ad, this is not a political ad or this Mm -hmm. is not a health claim or, you know, maybe a few uh, mandatory checks, uh, you know, similar to anything that's regulated. And I like the idea that Dorsey was talking about uh, that if you're going to get content out there, you're going to get known in your Twitter world, you need to have earned that following. You can't buy the following. You can't buy an ad and get a whole bunch of people to sign on to what you're saying. You got to earn your way into that. Um, so that is the process I like that we're not a, that that system can't be manipulated as easily now in Twitter, certainly in the political side of the world, if we're not allowing political ads. So it doesn't mean that other people can't advertise, but they're they're coming down. Uh, along the line of earn your place here or don't participate. And I think that's a pretty reasonable way to go. And as we both know, Twitter and Facebook are not making a lot of money on these political ads. So this is really a philosophical, ethical conversation for both companies. And it's fascinating to see how they've decided on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Yeah, again, this is just Zuckerberg not understanding how to sway public opinion because what he should do is do that. I'm the moral, you know, I'm going to ban all political ads and maybe that takes a 1% hit on his revenue but it, or not even right? or not even yeah and then he, yeah. he he sees this massive upswing you know uh, it's just i don't understand why it's so difficult to just kind of say what you're supposed to say and especially in front of congress i mean it just doesn't make sense that he's there they really need to hire someone better but uh, i guess he's the owner of the whole thing so 60 well, percent control yeah he can do right, whatever he wants oh, that's and right. he knows it. dorsey's got a similar level of control over it Twitter, too. Maybe it's the difference in their ages. Obviously, very different personalities. Nose ring, no nose ring. Okay haircut, maybe not so okay haircut. But these are very different people. And it it shows us uh, the mind that is controlling Facebook. That's true, yeah. There is no consultation here. It's amazingly transparent. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of nice that he's so transparent. But uh, I wish he was a a better guy behind it. Yeah, bingo. (laughs) Fair enough. Linda, Owen, as always, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Owen Ingram, CTO at Easy Market, and Linda Faucus, CEO of Glue Technology Society. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.